there are times and places in uh, a man's life as a pastor that are very precious and dear moments. Places and times where, as a pastor, you're invited uh, into sacred places, into places of mourning, into places of joy, in the, into places where there's confusion and you're called to bring the grace, the mercy, and the presence of God. So when Larry called me yesterday morning and asked if uh, I would uh, change directions, uh, I was very, very honored to do so. Because your church at this moment in time uh, is at a place that's very sacred. It's a place where God, by his grace and in his sovereignty, is drawing you together through a means not of your own design, nor of your own desire. It's a joy for me to stand in a pulpit in which Jim preached from. And so I want to just come to you this, this afternoon and, and uh, point to only where Jim would point, and that's the scriptures. There is no other place really for us to go, and there is no need for us to go anywhere else. Today is September 11th. And all of us remember those moments many years ago when the Twin Towers fell. And we were, uh, they were brought to the ground and we as a nation were shook to our foundations. And in many ways we were brought to the ground as well. We recognize the frailty of life. We recognize the fleeting nature of even our own national power. And so it went for a little while. And even the non-believer would come, and even the non-believer would pray, and even the non-believer would find solace and comfort for a moment. But that didn't last very long. But this week, you lost a pastor. And in losing a pastor like Jim, in many ways it's the same kind of reality, but at a very personal and at a very smaller level, and yet very much the same. See, in Jim's passing last week, we lost a man of God. We lost an Enoch. And those of you who know the accounts of Genesis know that as, uh, from, uh, from, the, uh, from the days of Adam to the days of Noah, there's a, there's a genealogy there. And it's this genealogy that runs like every other genealogy that we tend to skip in Scripture. So-and-so begat so-and-so, and then they lived so many years longer, and they had so many more sons and daughters, and then they died. And then so-and-so begat so-and-so, and he lived so many years and had other sons and daughters, and he began to die, and he died. And then we come to Enoch. And it says of Enoch that Enoch walked with God. And there's this abrupt change from this sleepy genealogy as God almost says to Moses, well, hold on, let me tell you about Enoch. And all we know about this man Enoch is that he walked with God and he was no more because God was pleased with him and God took him. Such was the man Jim Claycomb. 
He walked with God. He walked with God with you. He walked with God with his wife. He walked with God with his children. He walked with God into prisons. He had nothing of his own but what came from his walk with God that he gave to you. ALS didn't take Jim Claycomb. God took Jim Claycomb. The sovereign God was pleased with him. And thus he is no more because God was pleased to take him unto himself. And as we think about death, death has this rippling effect, doesn't it? There's profound pain for Tammy and, and her family. There's, a, there's a, an emptiness that will ache and ache and ache and will come again and again and again. And just as one thinks it's over, it will come again. Such is the death of a loved one close to our hearts. I'm so grateful that you will be a source of great comfort and encouragement and blessing to Tammy and her family. We lost a good man as a church. We lost an elder. We lost a teaching elder. For a lot of people, that doesn't really matter that much. Well, he was just a preacher. No, we lost a churchman. A man who stood for truth. A man who preached and proclaimed and heralded the gospel in a day when it is not heard often, even from those who would call themselves the church. We lost a herald. We lost a guardian of truth and the gospel. We lost a teacher of the word of God. We lost a man of wisdom, a man of Issachar, who knew the times and how Israel should move. And we're shaken. And the elders will come together. Sadly, I buried a number of elders who were elder than I. They were my mentors as, as Jim was yours, elders. And all of a sudden, in death came a, came a weight because we were bearing something greater for the loss of one who bore it with us. And it's scary. And it's a lonely, lonely place to be and I ask that you would pray for your elders as they seek to care for you we lost a a friend a, a fellow sinner a believer in the grace of God a man who showed kindness and grace who taught us both truth and grace together and exemplify that reality in our life. And though maybe in Jim's case, death was an expected reality sooner rather than later because of the worsening of his condition. And yet when it comes, death, we're never ever really ready for death. There's one more question to be asked. There's one more thing to be known. There's one more moment of, of joy that we feel robbed of. 
I was 20 years old and a sophomore at SIU Edwardsville when I got a call on August 3rd, 1986, telling me that my mother had been killed in an accident. My world turned upside down and inside out, and I felt like I was in this bag and it was being twirled around in darkness, and, and I didn't know which way was up and which way was down. And often we can feel that way. Ironically, I received a letter from my mother a number of days after her death that she had written before her death and sent with another missionary to be mailed in the States. And in that letter, much like Jim's, in that letter, she wrote about what was going on and, and any number of different things that were just petty. And then she even wrote about what she was going to do on that day when she died. She was meant to go up and take my brother to boarding school, but my grandmother was sick, so she was going to stay, stay home and take care of her. But the letter was signed, In Haste, Mom. In Haste. What a wonderful thing to hear from a man's deathbed, what he wished for you. I would ask the elders if you would print that out and make sure that every family gets that. Because it wasn't in haste this time. It was intentional. And a man spoke his heart. But when death comes, expected or not, it comes like an earthquake, a tidal wave, a tsunami. And the tremors and aftershocks continue for some time as they will with you. That's the context of the passage which we have in Isaiah. I want you to notice as it was read for us already, it begins simply with this context. It was in the year that King Uzziah died. The king was dead. And if you know anything about Israel and Judah's uh, uh, reigns of king, this was a rare good king. He was a man of God. He was the chosen of God. He was the anointed of God. He was the defender of the realm and the faith. He was a pillar of strength. He was a pillar of confidence in times of uncertainty. And he was gone. And Isaiah tells us that it was in the tumult of death that he entered into the house of God, as we are today. It was in the year that King Uzziah died. And what's the comfort for Isaiah? It's the comfort for us this morning. God granted Isaiah a vision in the temple of God. And notice, if you would, verses 1 through 4, what it is that, that Isaiah saw that brought him comfort. I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple, and above him stood seraphim, each which had six wings, with two they covered the, his face. And with two they covered their feet, and with two they flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, 
holy, holy is the Lord of hosts, and the whole, whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations and the thresholds shook. Because of the voice of him who called and the house was filled with smoke. Isaiah comes in a time of profound upheaval, uncertainty, as death brings with any one of us, be it in our family, be it in our church, be it in our neighborhood, be it in our nation, as England is feeling a little bit of now. And God revealed himself as the transcendent and sovereign God. And that was the comfort for Isaiah, and that is the comfort for us. So look at the picture that God allowed Isaiah to see. God is holy. And when we think about holiness, we think about two things. The first thing we think about is God's otherness. He is not us, praise God. Isn't that good news? He, he, he condescended in sending his son to become flesh like us, but he is not us. We are his creatures, and he is completely other. He is exalted. He is high and lifted up. And notice the, the train of his temple, Solomon's temple here, the train of his, tem, uh, 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 of his, uh, the train of his robe fills the temple. This huge, magnificent edifice can only hold the train of God's robe because he is so otherly. Later on, Isaiah will say that he, he sits enthroned above the circle of the earth and its people are like grasshoppers before his very presence. We see the greatness of God. We see his transcendent authority and his, his sovereignty over all things. And we find comfort in the fact that we have a God who does not change though all around us seems to change and slip away. But it's not only his otherness, it's his moral excellence that we find comfort in. Notice these angelic hosts. It says that they had six wings. With two they covered their feet, the basest part of their body, because, because they were in the very presence of the holy, holy God of Israel. Or two, they covered their eyes because they could not even look. These fiery, angelic beings created to bring a praise and worship to the living God could not even look upon the holiness of God. And then there's the angelic song, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God. And here we go with the transcendentness. The whole earth is full of his glory. The psalmist was saying, Psalm 139, he's trying to run from God. And what he finds comfort in is the fact that he can never go anywhere where God is not. Because God is at all places and at all times. And he is transcendent above the earth. And he is everywhere. And he is sovereign and for the psalmist, it became good news, though he sought to run like we will see Jonah seeking to run in God is present. 
But for us in our sorrow, we realize that there is no place where we can go and where we can be that God is not present. He is transcendent. And then notice that it's the, the threshold shook at this, this proclamation of God's holiness and the whole temple is filled with smoke. What a wonderful sight to see that God in his grace is a sovereign and tri, triune and, and transcendent God. I was here in the States when my mom died in Pakistan. And it took us three days. It was on a Sunday and we got there on a Thursday. And we got there an hour before we buried her because they don't have the mortuary system we do. And I can remember sitting in our living room where we had had family devotions, where we had spent Christmases. And I was there with my brother, my two brothers and my dad, and I've never seen a man so broken as my father was. He'd been there when he had, she had died and she tried to revive her. And we were just weeping. And it's, and it's incredible my brothers don't remember this. My dad never remembered saying it. He said it as clear as day. He looked up from his tears and he said, I do not know why such things happen. But I know that I serve a great God. And I can tell you in that moment, the transcendent, sovereign peace of God fell over me in such a way that I knew without a shadow of a doubt that all was okay because God was on his throne. I did not stop crying. I did not stop weeping. But I had a joy in the midst of my sorrow because the sovereign God was in control. And that was such good news. And notice what Isaiah responds. He's, he responds, woe is me, I'm in trouble. Woe is me for I'm a man I am lost. I am a man of unclean lips. And I, live, and I dwell among a, um, in the midst of a people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the King, the Lord. Well, wait a second. Isn't the King dead? No, that's the King. But I have seen the King of kings. And I have seen the Lord of lords. He lost a shepherd, but there is a greater shepherd, that great shepherd of the sheep who seeks to comfort your heart, and he can never die. And yes, you've lost a shepherd, and Isaiah had lost a king, but he saw the king, the Lord Almighty, seated on his throne. And his response is, what am I? Who am I? I am but a sinner in the sight of God. And right in the midst of God's transcendent glory comes the grace of God to us as sinners. Isaiah recognizes his need for grace. Isaiah recognizes his sinfulness in light of God's holy, holy, holy presence. And there he confesses his sin. He confesses, I am nothing. I don't have control over anything. I am a sinful, sinful man. How silly of us, isn't it, to think that we have control over anything. 
I can remember looking over my, my children as they lay in their crib and panicking as I watched their little chests go up and down like this and I realized I could never make them breathe. I had no power in that. Brothers and sisters, it's good to be helpless. Because in our helplessness, we go to God and we recognize we are not hopeless. There is a difference between helpless and hopeless. Helpless makes us depend on God. And there we find the hope of the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we see that here, don't we? Isaiah confesses his sin and, and then notice there's, there's an altar here. And it says, then one of the seraphs flew to me, having his hand, uh, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken from an altar where sacrifice had been made. And the angel takes the coal and he touched my lips and he says, behold, this has touched your lips and your guilt is taken away and your sin is atoned for. And there we look at this altar pointing forward where a lamb of God had been sacrificed. And from that altar where faith, in faith, uh, a lamb had been sacrificed, a coal comes and touches the lips of Isaiah and he is pardoned. His sins are forgiven by this transcendent and holy God. And comfort comes not only through transcendence, but it comes through the grace of God as we recognize our need for God. And it is only when our sins have been forgiven that we can hear the voice of God to call. And I heard the voice of the Lord. Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And then I said, here I am, send me. What's significant about that in this moment? In this moment of grief, as God comforts us, he also calls us. And brothers and sisters, he is calling you today. Our days are short. We do not know when the Lord is coming. We may not make it home today. Because the sovereign Lord calls. We do not know. But as one shepherd is gone, may others be raised. May they be raised to serve the living God. May they be raised to walk in paths of righteousness. May they be raised to be men of God and women of prayer. May they take the mantle and walk faithfully out of sorrow into a greater glory. John Newton said, two things I know. One, that I'm a great sinner. And two, that Christ is a great Savior. And Jim in this life was confronted like Isaiah was. He was confronted with the holiness of God. And only in the pure holiness of God was he able to see his sinfulness and his need and only then was the Holy Spirit awakening his heart unto the salvation that is, no, that is brought to us in Christ our Savior. 
And here we stand. This afternoon we see dimly, yet Jim sees clearly. I want you, I want to invite you to see what Jim sees this afternoon. John and his vision in Revelations chapter 9, I, there are parallels here that are just incredible that we don't have the time to actually dig into. Just turn with me, if you would, in Revelations chapter 5. The same scene, different place. It's a vision from God to a man in exile. The world, the Roman world, the church world is turning inside out and upside down with persecution. And God gives John a vision. And then I saw at the right hand of him who was seated on the throne, there's a throne, and one who's seated upon it, a scroll written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one in heaven and on earth or under the earth was able to open the scrolls to look into it, and I began to weep. Different reason, for, but much like I say, I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll and look into it. And John weeps, for supposedly no one is found worthy to open the scrolls. And one of the elders, verse 5, it says, One of the elders said to me, weep no more. Weep no more. Behold the lion of the tribe of Judah. The root of David has conquered. So that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And you can just imagine, if you would, Isaiah seeing the transcendent, uh, I mean John seeing the transcendent holiness of God, the, the, the throne of God in heaven, the seals there, the, the scroll with the seven seals. And he, no one is worthy, he says. He begins to weep, much like Isaiah. And then uh, uh, the elders come to him and say, weep no more, the lion of the tribe of Judah. He comes and turns to look for a lion and he says this and there between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain see in this in Revelation there's no altar there's no need for an altar the lamb's there the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world and just think Jim sees this. The lion of the tribe of Judah, the conquering hero, the lamb looking as if it had been slain. No altar necessary. No a lamb, but the lamb who takes away the sin of the world and his shed blood has purchased men from God from every tribe and tongue and nation. He, that slain lamb of God, is enough to calm our fears this afternoon. He's enough to wipe our tears away as he was Isaiah's and John's. And though Isaiah went to the nations, 
Here the nations are gathered to the Lamb. And there is a proclamation and there is praise. And we will join with Jim on another day to, to have a greater worship with greater purity, with greater understanding, and with greater clarity. And allow me just to read the rest of this passage. It's too long to expound at this moment. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders and our brother fell down before the Lamb each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song. Worthy are you to take the scroll, to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you have ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and a priest to our God. And they shall reign on the earth. And then I looked and I heard around the throne of the living creatures and the elders the voice of many angels numbering myriads upon myriads and thousands upon thousands saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And when I heard it, and I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped. Brothers and sisters, in your moment of grief, there is no better place to go but to see the transcendent, sovereign God reigning and ruling. Look up. Look up through your tears. Look up from your confusion. Look up from what will happen tomorrow and know that there is a God who knows tomorrow better than we could ever even imagine. He holds the future in his hand. He is holy. We are sinners. He has made the way. And as we see these two pictures, both in the throne room of God, we recognize that we wait now for that day when we together will be with Jim and those that we have loved before the throne of God. And in your sorrow... Lift your heads and proclaim, worthy is the Lamb. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain. He is worthy to receive power. He is worthy to receive wealth. He is worthy to receive wisdom. He is worthy to receive might and honor and glory and blessing. And find your joy and find your God, a comfort in a God who would leave the glories of heaven to come to the sinfulness of earth to save sinners like us. That when not only would he take the penalty of our sin, that he would take the power of our sin 
And then one day he would take us from the presence of sin to be with him forever. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, we thank you that you are immutable. That you never change. We live in a world where those words themselves are mocked by many. But for us, they are the comfort of knowing that you remain the same yesterday and today and forever. I pray for this body that you would grant them the peace of knowing your sovereign care over them. That he who did not spare his only son but gave him up for us all, how much more will he not give us all that we need? Father, we thank you that before your throne sits our Savior who intercedes for them in their time of sorrow, knowing their weakness, having wept at the grave of a friend, as much in anger because of the realities of sin and brokenness. But he wept. We thank you that before your throne, Romans 8 tells us that we have the Holy Spirit who knows our weakness at this very moment, who cries out, Abba, Father, but who intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express. How glorious to know that not only can we pray to a God, but we know that our God is praying within the Godhead for our very needs in our times of weakness and sorrow. Oh, Lord, would you lift each one of our heads within our tears to see the sovereign God and know that he reigns and he rules and he has drawn us and called us to be his children. Pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.